Have you ever heard of Candyman? Look at the mirror and say it once. Candyman? For fun. You don't believe all that nonsense anyway, do you? Say it again. Candyman. For a scare. A woman died in there. Leave it. Say it five times. No, I ever got this for. You're dead. Candyman. Try it. We dare you. Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Show, show discusses all the masterpieces and trash pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And from what has, after what's been a very long October for us with films, uh, we are at our final Halloween Classics episode of the year. Oh no. And the month and whatnot. <laughs> Until next year. So yeah. Uh, we are bringing another masterpiece to you today. Uh, probably the least known. Nah, I don't know. Nah. I would say the least. Know- okay, the most underrated of all of them. Potentially, yeah. This film has a six point six nine DB, and it really bothers me. I don't know why it's got a score so low. For me, this is up there. Um, you know, one of my favorite films. It's Candyman from nineteen ninety two, the year I was born. I think a lot of people watch it expecting a cheapo slasher mm-hmm. film, and that's not what you get. It's very ahead of its time. Yeah, I, I think so. It, it's it's a very good film. It's really well, really well made. Yeah. I don't know what the budget. Obviously, you're probably going to tell us the budget, but um, I think it's really well made. Yeah, and. Uh... Obviously, what makes this stand out amongst 90s horror is the fact that it's... Not shit. <laughs> wow, well, I mean, it's not shit. <laughs> and also, it's uh, set in uh, in the uh, Cabrini-Green project. Yeah, um, Cabrini-Green. Which is obviously... Would you like to explain a little more about... Well, it, it, what it sets it out is the, the themes on show. Um, it deals a lot with black culture... And it, it, it's a difficult one because it puts black culture at the forefront, but it is told from a white woman's perspective. Mm. Um, so it's not quite there. It's 1992, so it, it's not quite there. Um, we are getting a sequel, yeah. reboot, remake, whatever the, they're calling it soon and i think that will deal with those issues well it's it's following the baby from this film yes so it it's uh, yeah following the the story of black characters whereas the, this mm. film doesn't but it brings up a lot of issues within yeah. the black community yeah uh, and a lot of which are actually discussed within the trivia of this so uh, starting off was directed by bernard rose of course it's based on the forbidden by clive barker uh, short story, I believe, was in one of his books of blood. Uh, the budget was six million, okay. which is actually quite surprising. Yeah, that's, that's high. Very that, that's high. What was it? Sorry, nineteen ninety two. Maybe yeah, for nine ninety two. Nineteen ninety two horror film. That's fairly high. I'd and uh, it grossed twenty five point seven million worldwide. So very successful. Yeah, yeah. It spawned two sequels. It did, which, uh, and then the upcoming one as well. Yeah, but um, apparently the. the I haven't seen them, but the two sequels are more standard slash affair. Yeah. So, starting off the trivia, Tony Todd, uh, who plays the title character, 
uh, he was negotiated a bonus of $1,000 for every bee sting he suffered during filming. He was stung 23 times. Bloody hell. Yes. Tony Todd is incredible in this. He did very good. Yeah. As is Virginia Madsen. Mm-hmm. Uh, they both took ballroom dancing classes together, so they'd have more of a romantic connection when playing their characters. Okay. Because <laughs> there's an odd romantic side to this... Uh, beneath the horror. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very Clive Barker romantic side of things. <laughs> yeah, fucked up romance. <laughs> uh, there was, in fact, a Candyman killer, though different from the fictional Candyman. It's a bit of true life crime for you. Uh, Dean Coral was a serial killer in the Houston area who raped and murdered numerous boys from 1970 to 1973. He would lure children into his home using candy from his family's factory, so the media dubbed him the Candyman. And he had two teenage uh, accomplices who helped lure the young boys. But when Dean plotted to rape and kill one of them, they shot and killed him. Very different to... Uh... <laughs> it, it is very different. I, I don't... I'm not sure if Clive Barker got the name from... Oh, or was Candyman just for the film? Uh, no, no, it was in the book as well. In the, in the yeah. book as well. So maybe that's where he got the name Candyman yeah. from. Uh, my assumption is Candyman comes from the bees, honey, yeah. sweet, you know. Uh, on the DVD commentary, Alan Paul said that uh, had Virginia Manson not been available, the part of Helen would have gone to the then unknown Sandra Bullock. Oh, and wow. A very different film. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> Sandra Bullock's a good Oh, actress. yeah. It may have still would have been Sandra different. Bullock's... Um, Career go in a different direction. Yeah. Uh, Virginia Madsen had to get up close and personal with the bees, a fact that almost forced her to pass on the role. Uh, she has. She said that when Bernie was first asking her to do the role, she said she couldn't because she's allergic to bees. And he said, no, you're not allergic to bees, you're just afraid. So she had to go to the UCLA and get tested for it because he didn't believe her. And she was tested for every kind of venom and uh, she was far more allergic to wasps. And he said uh, they'd have to have paramedics there waiting um, when she did her scenes. Jesus, he really wanted her in that role. Yeah. I went. They had a they had a bee wrangler and uh, he told them that you can't freak out around the bees or, uh, you know, swat at them or anything like that. It'll just aggravate them. So they only used baby bees on her. Yeah, I, th- I think we, <laughs> as a society now, have a different relationship with bees than maybe mm-hmm. back then. Um, we, we know bees are you know, very, uh, they're not close to extinction, but they could be in the future. And we're very reliant on them. So we're all friends of the bees now. Mm-hmm. Uh, wasps can fuck off, but bees, yeah, we're friends of the bees. <laughs> when Philip Glass signed on to compose the score for Candyman, he apparently envisioned the final film being something totally different. And according to Rolling Stone, he said what uh, they said what he'd presumed would be an awful, an artful, sorry, version of Clive, Bur- uh, uh, Clive Barker's short story, The Forbidden, had ended up in fact, in his view, a low-budget slasher. Mm. He was reportedly disappointed in the film and felt that he had been manipulated. Uh, still, the haunting music is considered a classic score, and Glassstone's view of it seems to have softened over time. And he has said it's since become a classic. So I still make money from the score and get checks every year. Yeah, it's a wonderful it is. gothic score. Yeah, and I think that adds to the romance side of things. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think it's... I, I, don't, I don't 
agree with him, low budget slasher. No. Maybe six million is a low budget. I would not know. I mean, it is now, but... Yeah, it would be now. Mm. I don't know. But um, it, this film certainly isn't low-budget slasher fodder. Uh, this is, of course, Tony Todd's favourite role in film of his own. Yeah. Like, I, I, can you name any of the roles he's done? Final Destination. Okay. Um, yeah, but, he, you know, he's Candyman. But he is Candyman, A film yeah. called yeah. Candyman. He'll always you know, be known. This is his, yeah. his film. He, he's not in it the most, but... Well, Virginia Madsen said this is also the film she's most recognised for. Really? Yeah. More than Electric Dreams? Yeah. Uh, well, apparently. Um, <laughs> so this is whenever she's at airports and apparently she's happy with it. As an actor, you always want a film that's annual, like It's a Wonderful Life or A Christmas Story. But she gets Halloween and uh, now her, her now it's kind of legend around the story and uh, people associate her with it. Oh, yeah. I suppose, you know, you... As an and it's, it's her film. Yeah, it's called it is Canyon, her but it's film. her film. Yeah, um, but you know, you want iconic roles. You want to be in iconic films that last thirty, forty, fifty years. Mm-hmm. You know. Um. So of course, the legend surrounding Candyman combines two uh, real urban legends. So you've got Bloody Mary, of course, saying her name in the mirror and the ghost appearing. And the hook, a killer with a hook for a hand who attacked a couple uh, in a parked car. Obviously, the urban legend. Oh, yeah. Oh, that one. Yeah. So it's basically those two combined. Not I Know What You Did Last Summer. Uh, well, <laughs> no, not quite. Um, Eddie Murphy was originally considered for the title role. Okay. But it was deemed too short because he's five foot nine. And Tony Todd is six foot five. Yeah, he's definitely got a presence in this film, and his his stature does add to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the bees were treated really well on set. Um, apparently, had a special soft, safe, gentle vacuum uh, to get them away from their scenes they're in, which is always good to hear. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so there's uh, there's lots of quotes in this trivia. Um, and I hate reading out quotes because I don't know how these people sound, so I just sound like a moron. Anyway, <laughs> uh, viewers may think of Candyman as one of the horrors genre, ugh, horror genre's most terrifying villains. Uh, Bernard Rose said the idea always was that he was kind of a romantic figure. And again, romantic in sort of the Edgar Allan Poe sense, it's the romance of death. He's a ghost and he's also the resurrection of something that is kind of unspoken or unspeakable in American history, which is slavery as well. So he's kind of come back and he's haunting what is a new version of the racial segregation in Chicago. And I think there's always something very seductive and very sweet and very romantic about him. And that's what makes him interesting in the same way there is about Dracula. In the end, the boogeyman is someone you want to surrender to. You're not just afraid of. There's a certain kind of joy in his seduction. And Tony was always so romantic. And Tony ties in, in so elegantly and is such a gentleman. And he was wonderful to work with. Oh, that's, that's nice. And it kind of makes sense as well, what you're saying. Yeah, no, it, it definitely makes sense. And that's why the, the gothic music works. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, if, if you would have told me that, you know, Philip Glass watched the film and did the score and was very happy with it, I'd believe you. I, mm. I, I don't... Yeah. I don't get this whole, you know, he felt like he was being duped. No. 
Some, uh, so we've got a, a one or two bits of trivia here about how people look at the race side of things. And there's the first one that says there's some controversy uh, that film was depicting racism and racial stereotypes. Uh, according to Bernard Rose, uh, he had to go and have a whole set of meetings with the NAACP uh, because the producers were so worried. And what they said to me when they re read the script was, why are we even having this meeting? You know, this is just good fun. And their argument was, why shouldn't a black actor be a ghost? Why shouldn't a black actor play Freddy Krueger or Hannibal Lecter? Mm. If you're saying that they can't be, then that's really perverse. And this is a horror film. And according to Virginia Madsen, she was, uh, at the time when it was released, worried about how people would respond. And she said the exact words, I don't think Spike Lee will like this film. Okay. <laughs> Someone wanted to get a job with Spike Lee. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that, it's so true. Why can't there be a black horror villain? And and there was, and it worked. Yeah. It, and it, 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 it taps into you know, black history, yeah. African-American history mm -hmm. as well. So it, it's not completely unfounded. No. And the whole backstory of him um, and, and why he became like he did, you know, he was a good guy. He, he wasn't always this bad guy. He goes around gutting people with a hook. Yeah. Um, he's a really sympathetic character when you get to hear his backstory. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It, it, it's There's many levels to it. Um, and... Uh, there's there's a lot of interpretations you can take from the film. Um, it it's a difficult one because we're two white guys in Britain. Mm -hmm. You know we we can't necessarily relate to the African American story in America. Um, but of course there should be representation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I, I totally agree, you know, why can't there be a black Freddy Krueger? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and it's, it's great to see something like this so early in the 90s as well, coming off the back of the slasher crows where every villain was a white man, either yeah. in a mask or disfigured. And also, you know, as, as long as you're being... Um, as long as you're not being offensive mm. in your depiction then you're, you're giving a black actor a job. Yeah, a very big job as well. Yeah, Tony Todd has made a career from mm. this film. Yeah. He's signing autographs, getting his money, getting his checks. Mm -hmm. You know, if you turn around and said, mm, would have been a little iffy, let's get this white guy to do it. Mm -hmm. Tony Todd wouldn't... Well, he's a great actor. He would have had a career, but he wouldn't have had the career that he's had. Yeah. Because they've turned around and said... Actually, we're going to go with the white guy because well, be, not because we don't want you because you're black. It's because we think you being black would make this iffy. Well, that brings yeah. me to this interesting fact that Candyman in Clive Barker's original story had uh, been described as an imposing, uh, as an imposing, possibly white man. Uh, see. He's got a natural shade of yellow um, and that adds to the candy theme and he had an unruly red beard. So the film takes it in a, a completely different yeah. direction. Yeah, yeah, and that also is the same with the setting as well. Because although the short story is set in Liverpool, where Clive Barker's from, uh, Bernard Rose decided that the film would be much better done in America, uh, and assisted by members of the Illinois Film Commission, he scattered locations in Chicago and found Cabrini Green, and said it was an incredible uh, arena for a horror film because it was a place of such palpable fear. Yeah. Um. And he said that f filming in Chicago is easier than filming in England as well. 
Yeah, at the end of the day, you, you know, American films are easier to market. Yeah. Particularly horror horror films, let, let's be fair. It, it, it just makes... Reminds me, do you remember Slaughter High? Yeah. Which was a very British film, <laughs> filmed in Britain with mainly British actors, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Yeah. But they were all forced to put on really shit American <laughs> accents and pretend that it was like a high school, when clearly it was just like some like dilapidated grammar school in, in the middle of the UK. <laughs> That is a... It's a fun film, though. I, I'd recommend Slaughter. Yeah, I'd recommend Slaughter High. It's, right. <laughs> it's got Caroline Monroe, who I think was pushing 40 at the time, oh, yeah. playing a high school student. <laughs> <laughs> so the character of Candyman came in at number eight on Bloody Disgusting's top 13 slashes in horror film history and ranked the same on Hugo's top 11 slashes. Well, it can't. Oh, yeah, number eight. I thought I was reading that as number 13 then. <laughs> Tony Todd made number 53 on Retro Crush's top 100 greatest horror movie performances. Nice. Maybe a little higher. Should have been. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's definitely up there. I mean, you know, it always stands out when you've got a horror film with good performances, and this is definitely one of those. Mm. Uh, one of the only slasher films in the horror canon with, uh, as of, as we've mentioned previously, with a black serial killer as the villain, and that was still the case. So this fact was put on uh, on the internet as of twenty nineteen when the uh, sequel was being announced. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's crazy. That still to twenty nineteen, Tony Todd was still the only black serial killer in a horror film. Yeah. It's really hard to believe, think, isn't think it? No, I'm, I'm trying to think about it. And yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well. It's mm, mad. Yeah, not good. But, I mean, obviously things have evolved for African-American cinema, especially within the horror genre since this anyway, with the likes of, obviously, Get Out and Us and Jordan Peele taking over the horror scene and uh, winning Oscars and shit. Yeah, and it's nice to see that the new Candyman film is being produced by Jordan yes, Peele. But it's still being directed. By a woman. By a, a, a black A, a black, black woman. woman. And it's yeah. her first feature film. Yeah. Which is... And she's also been given Captain Marvel 2 as well. So nice. her career is launching already. It hasn't even been released yet. Uh, Virginia Madsen was friends with director Bernard Rose and his then-wife, uh, Alexandra Pig. Uh, it's actually her surname, P-I-G-G. And Madsen was originally set to play the role of Bernadette, whilst Pig was going to play Helen. Ah. The choice was made uh, was then made to make the character of Bernadette African-American, so Madsen lost the part, and uh, she was then offered the role of Helen. Yeah, I th- I think it was important to see the two sides of yeah. African American um, people. Uh huh. Um, I, I I I'm glad that they went that way with Bernadette. Yeah, had this just been Tony Todd Candyman attacking a bunch of white people, then it would have been very very iffy. Yeah, and then Caprini Green is just you know a, a poor dilapidated building. Yeah. Um, that's been overrun with gangs. Yeah. Then it's like, if that's the only repre- representation you're giving, then that's, that's iffy. That, that, yeah, mm-hmm. that wouldn't have sat quite right. Yeah. Um, and uh, another fact here about how people look at the, the race side of things. Uh, again, it's a very long one, so please uh, excuse my reading out, because I hate my reading out voice. Uh, in the 1992 story in the Chicago uh, Tribune, 
Tribune? Tribune. Tribune. Yeah. Tribune, that, that too. Um, some high-profile black filmmakers expressed their disappointment that the film seemed to um, bring about several racist stereotypes. Words are failing me tonight. Um, Perpetuate. Thank you. There's no question that this film plays on white middle-class fears of black people. Director Carl Franklin, who made Out of Time and Devil in a Blue Dress, said... Uh, it, uh, it uses racial stereotypes and destructive myths to create shock. I found it hokey and unsettling. Uh, it didn't work for me because I don't share those fears buy into, and buy into those myths. Uh, Reginald Hudlin, who directed House Party, Boomerang and Marshall, described the film as worrisome, uh, though he didn't want to speak on the record about specific issues. Uh, I've, he said, I've gotten calls about the film, but I think I'm going to reserve comment. Uh, he said, some of my friends are in it and I may someday want to work for TriStar. For Bernard Rose, those assessments may have been hard to hear as his goal in adapting uh, Barker's story and directing it was to upend the myths about inner cities. Uh, he said, the tradition of oral storytelling is very much alive, especially when it's a scary story. Uh, and the biggest urban legend of all for me uh, was the idea that there are places and cities where you do not go because if you go in them, something dreadful will happen. Not to say that there isn't uh, danger in ghettos in inner city areas, uh, but the exaggerated fear of them is an urban myth. I'm not sure if I agree with Bernard Rose on that one. No. Because when... So... Helen goes to Caprini Green and what happens to her there is that she gets attacked and, you know, she's she does feel scared. Actually, in fairness, she's the one that doesn't feel scared. It's Bernadette that mm. feels scared. But it wasn't a good picture of Caprini Green. No, but there, I mean, it was good people living in there um, who are essentially yeah. important characters. Yeah, well... Anne Marie yeah. and and the kids. Mm -hmm. um, so I do understand that. I, I do understand that. But oh, I don't know. I, I I mean, people can have their whatever opinions they like. You know, again, you know, we're two white guys from Britain. Mm -hmm. I, I ain't gonna tell, you know, an African American filmmaker how to feel about you know African American cinema representation. Um, but for me, I, I looked at it not as in like a, a scary film. It didn't really scare me. Um, if anything, it, it was kind of like a twisted love story. Mm. Um, and if, if I looked at it like that, then maybe, you know, maybe that's why I don't necessarily agree. Yeah. If that makes sense. Uh, I mean, <laughs> and um, speaking of Bernadette... Uh, Casey Lemons stars as uh, Bernadette, and she's also the psychic to Jodie Foster in uh, Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Which came out a year before. She's a little typecast, weren't she? She was definitely typecast. Yeah. Um, she had to say she had something to say about Cabrini Green herself. Uh, she said it was notorious and edgy film in there, but felt that it was important to see it, and she felt grateful that she did see Cabrini Green, and that it was really interesting, as she felt she was uh, someplace really... Someplace really, as in she actually felt like she was in somewhere in real life. I see. Whilst filming, uh, as it was a real location and helped get the vibe of the whole thing. And uh, Tony Todd and Virginia Madsen, uh, with plainclothed police officers with them, uh, they went into the buildings of Caprini Green uh, as part of researching for their roles, uh, which they said was a useful yet distressing experience for both of them. 
So, I mean, the actors were very much on the side of filming there because they, they really wanted to get into, you know, they, they went there to do their research and such. Yeah. And, and looking at it now from a, a modern standpoint, because it's not there anymore, is it? No, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I, I assume not. I mean, if it looked the way it looked back in 1992, then I'm assuming it's not there anymore. Yeah, no. No, I, I believe I actually read something that actually did say it's, um, it's not there now. But, so, was Cabrini Green, real-life Cabrini Green? Yeah. Um, Cabrini, not Cabrini, Cabrini. <laughs> was that sort of run by gangs? Yeah, it was notorious for it yeah. at the time. And they knew that when filming there. Yeah. So then I suppose, is that not just representation of... Like, is that not just realism that they're showing that side? Mm. I, I do understand that maybe there's too much of an emphasis on that side at times. Mm. But surely that that's adds to the realism of, yeah. the, of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Uh, the scene where Candyman's hook burst through Helen's bathroom cabinet was set up without Virginia Madsen's knowledge. <laughs> so her terror and shock during that scene is real. Um, it's included in the American... Not that in the film itself. It's included in the American Film Institute's 2001 list of 400 films nominated for the top 100 most heart-pounding American movies. And my final fact is, according to Tony Todd, the studio cut several minutes of footage out to the swirling embrace scene at the end of the film where Candyman tells Helen surrendered to me because they were leery of the interracial context of the scene. Which is pathetic. Yeah. That's not... Well, I just shit. Mm-hmm. So you're telling me we can have a film where people are gutted... We see... Uh, see, now that's iffy. That's that's the iffy yeah. side of it. The fact that the studio was willing yeah. to put out the film where Tony Todd is going around gutting people and everything, but having him embrace a white woman for seven minutes is unacceptable. Yeah. All that is shit. Uh, yeah, it just proves more as to how that character was intended. He is intended as a romantic figure. Yeah, if, if anything, if, if I've got an issue with, with the film, um, then... Really, I would have liked to have seen a little more of that. Yeah. You know, romance between the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yes, it's good that studios have changed a lot since yeah. then. Well. I, I don't use... I don't know if we'd have a problem with something like that now. Um, no. No, I don't think people... The thing is, there's a lot more studios now, isn't mm. there? Yeah. So back then, it, there wasn't... You didn't have, like, Netflix and Amazon. And, no. You know, Hulu and and whatnot putting films together. So it was kind of like, you've got five studios. If you want to go independent, that's great. But you've got a budget of, you know, half a million. Yeah. Uh, rather than six million from an actual studio, you know. So, getting into the film, the Candyman, a murderous soul with a hook for a hand, is accidentally summoned to reality by a sceptic grad student's research in the monster's myth. We start with an aerial view of Chicago with opening credits on the soundtrack. Yeah, really, like I said previously, really great gothic soundtrack. Yeah, yeah re- really, it really adds to the film, I yeah. think. And then, as soon as this finishes, we get a lot of bees, just bees everywhere that's all you can see and uh tony todd's voice uh saying they say they will say i have shed innocent blood 
What's blood uh, for if not for shedding? With my hook for a hand, I will split you from your groin to your gut. I, I came for you. And then we see beasts around the Chicago. And that completely sets the tone. Yeah, massively. For the film. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great opener. It really is. And it, it stands out. It's, it's not like anything else. That opening is not like anything else. No. Um, and it, it really does help it stand out. And it, it looks great now. It still sounds great. It's... I love the amount of bass they add to Tony Todd's voice. So you know he's there. You know his presence is there. It's it's great. And it cements it as an urban horror. Yeah. You know, you start off with the cities. You know, we're in a city setting. Um, it, the film is a city film. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Sex in the City. <laughs> wow. <laughs> where, where it's it's almost an extra character, if if you know what I yeah. mean. It, this this wouldn't work anywhere else, mm-hmm. you know? Helen's having a sig while she's uh, being told the story about a babysitter who, cho- who ch- choited? cheated on Are her boyfriend. Okay? I'm not okay, am I? It's been a long, <laughs> long, long weekend. Um, yeah, this uh, babysitter cheated on her boyfriend with Ted Raimi, Sam Raimi's brother. <laughs> <laughs> is he the one that was in Xena Warrior Princess? I think so, yeah. yeah. Um, he's the one that was selling condoms in the bathroom at the start of Blood... Uh, Blood, what's it called? We've got it next to me. Blood Rage, the uh, Thanksgiving film. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, she she was cheating on a boyfriend with him, and she said... can Well, he said Candyman's name in the mirror four times. She completed it a fifth time, and she got murdered. Yeah. The first blonde white woman to do a stupid thing in this film. <laughs> first of many. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so that introduces us to the urban myth. So this this moment, so when he's sat on the sofa yeah. downstairs and the hook comes through and mm-hmm. the hook drips, I remember that and it must have been on a trailer for it. Was it was on the advertisement on the Cinema Club video. Yeah. Um, prior to Last Action Hero. But I, yeah, and I distinctly remember, and it, it took me a long time. Um, see, I didn't see Candyman until a, a lot later, obviously, and I don't know why I was watching videos like that when I was younger. Um, but I remember that very distinctly and had no idea what film it was from. And then I watched Candyman and I was like, oh, it's that film. Yeah, it was very intriguing. I mean... Just watching the intro to this film gives me so much nostalgia. Because um, that clip um, of the beast around the city and uh, Tony Todd's monologue, I'm sure that was on the little trailer as well. Yeah. It was like it was. a reel of films available from Cinema Club. Um, <laughs> I remember it as if it was yesterday. And it was not yesterday. It was a very long time ago. Um, but yeah, so she's murdered. The baby got murdered too that she was babysitting. And Ted's hair turned white, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, apparently. Um, so, <laughs> so we're taken to the University of Illinois, Chicago, where Helen's boyfriend Trevor is teaching a class on husband. urban legends. Is that her husband? Her husband. Are they married? Yes. Oh. Her husband uh, is teaching a class on urban legends, and he introduces her to his students. But there's one dirty little bitch called Stacy who's a little suspicious. Is her name actually Stacey? Her name is actually Stacey. Oh, I thought she was being sarky. <laughs> it's actually Stacey. Stacey. And she uh, shakes yeah, her hand. She's getting a little too close mm. and a little too flirty with Helen's man. Yeah, so Helen questions him about her and uh, he laughs it off. 
Yeah. Yeah, he, he's, he doesn't think uh, don't, Helen should be worrying. I don't believe him, and I don't think Helen does either. No. Um, so, Helen is typing up notes about Candyman. Uh, when a janitor comes in and tells her all about Cabrini Green. Yeah, so uh, it's the cleaner and she's she's an African-American woman and she overhears the taping mm-hmm. of the Candyman story and she says, you know, I've heard of the story. My friend knows the backstory and she invites another African-American woman in who's, who's a cleaner. Um, and maybe that that's maybe what people had issues with. Because you've got African-American women as cleaners, you've got African-American, you know, gang members. Yeah. I think that's why you need a character like Bernadette in there. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a shame she's kind of the sidekick, though. Uh, Sidekick? Sidekick. Though, um, she she maybe could have used her a little more. Um, But yeah, so she basically tells her about the the murder that took place in Caprini Green. Yes, it was a lady called Ruthie Jean, and she was in the bath, she heard noises, and she called the police, they didn't want to know, and she got killed with a hook. Yes. So Helen tracks down some information about it, finds some newspapers, and shows Bernadette, and uh, tells her all about it over a bottle of wine and a cigarette. Yeah, so she finds these newspaper articles, she looks at the planning, uh, the, the architecture of Caprini Green, and realises that her own apartment that she lives in, although very flashy and very classy, mm-hmm. um, actually started off as a housing project Yeah, with the same structure as Caprini Green. So, in her research, and she's a very clever... Helen is a very clever woman. Yeah. You know, she's very good at what she does. Um, she makes one really bad decision, though. Yeah. Um, but she's a very clever woman. And she finds out that behind her bathroom cabinet is a hole in the wall that leads to the apartment next to hers. Mm-hmm. And she hypothesises that... This is probably what happened to, um, is it Jean? Rufy Jean. Rufy Jean. And that somebody came through that hole in the wall and killed her. Yeah. So, uh, Helen decides the best thing to do is close her bathroom cabinet, put it back on the wall, close it, the door on it, and say, can you run the mirror five times? Yes. So this is the second blonde woman in this film who decides <laughs> to say Candyman five times into the mirror. <laughs> Aside from this, uh, Helen is such a fantastic character. Oh, of um, course she is, yeah. You know, she's a strong female lead and also a little older than what we'd expect at this stage, would you say? Yeah, yeah. Because usually by this point, you know, you're expecting teenagers in slasher films... Uh, Doing dumb things, and while she's doing dumb things, she's certainly not a teenager. No, she did. She does one dumb thing, and and she she does it because she dismisses the legend. Yeah, and that's the issue throughout the whole film. Yeah, that's what we'll get into. Um, so Trevor fake scares Helen by jumping into bed, and the next day. Helen and Bernadette. Yeah. <laughs> like, what was that scene? I don't know why that scene was in there. I think it was just a cheap jump scare, if I'm being honest. <laughs> he just jumps out of nowhere onto the bed. Um, Helen and Bernadette go to Cabrini Green 
And Bernadette is worried because they look like they're dressed like cops. Yeah, so Helen asked her to dress conservatively, which makes them look like cops. Yeah. Turns out Helen wants them to look like undercover cops. Yeah. Because it will protect them whilst they're in there. Well, yeah, so they're harassed by a gang of guys as they're going into the block of flats. Uh, they think they're cops, and because of this, they don't follow them up. They the just ask them a lots of questions, yeah. don't they? Uh, the sweets to the sweet graffiti on the wall, and uh, Helen's taking pictures. They enter Ruthie's apartment and they find the mirror where they believe the killer got through to kill her and Helen was right. There is uh, a hole in the wall behind it and Helen goes through. Anything for the research. I know, yeah. She, <laughs> do you know what? She does stick her nose where it don't belong as well in this film. <laughs> I mean, she wants to get her job done. She wants to... She does. She, you know, she, she wants it to is push a bit stupid, forward. but, you know, she wants to... And and we see throughout that she's kind of got a point to prove. When, yeah. When we, you know, her husband is quite dismissive of her work. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another character that's really quite dismissive. Stephen Fry. Oh, pompous git. Uh, but something she said before this is quite interesting is that people attributing the horrors of their daily lives to a, a mythical entity. Yeah. I find that quite interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what, that's kind of her point of view on the whole thing is and this is what her thesis is going to be based around Mm -hmm. is that people make up stories to help them deal with the horrors of their their lives yeah um yeah little little condescending helen but okay (laughs) (laughs) she uh she takes some pictures and she finds a big drawing of candy man and uh, there's some razors nearby in sweet wrappers yeah such a great shot yeah of her going through that hole mm-hmm. in the wall and we we see it from the other end so we see her coming out of mm-hmm. Candyman's mouth and I think this is the only real reference to the real life Candyman I think is having the sweets there with yeah. the razor blades in them I mean uh, you know it, it's useless saying uh, connecting this uh, with the Oscars in the 90s but whoever the fuck was in charge of cinematography in his film should have been acknowledged because mm. it's phenomenal. Yeah, it really, really is. Good. I mean, a, a, you great. know, a, a, a horror film with such a big African American cast wouldn't even be looked at by the Oscars no, in not. in the nineties. Even the soundtrack. Yeah, but the soundtrack and the cinematography. You know, some might even say Tony Todd and Virginia Madsen. They're both put in fantastic performances. Yeah, they do. Um, it, it never would have got looked at. Um, but then, if it was released now, I think it might have been different. Yeah, I, th- I think this is actually quite an, a, a companion piece to Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Um, very much so, the, the, the sort of psychotic, almost romance. This takes it to another level. Yeah. But there's... I could imagine Jodie Foster and um, Anthony Hopkins, mm. although, although it looked very strange... But I could imagine them doing dance lessons together yeah. before. Obviously, oh, they, yeah. they never actually saw each other before and barely saw each other during mm. the filming. Um, but I could imagine them doing that as well because there is a a weird, sinister, almost mm-hmm. romance between the yeah. two, which which is taken of of course taken to another level in this film. Yeah. But I think there are parallels between the two. Oh, films. definitely, definitely. Uh, Helen scares Bernadette while she's having a cig on the abandoned toilet. Yeah, she is. 
Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Anne-Marie enters and asks what they're doing there. And uh, Helen introduces herself and Bernadette. And Anne-Marie explains that not everyone is like the arseholes downstairs. Yeah, she's got a kid. She just wants to raise the kid well. Yeah, uh, she wants to know what they're doing the research on. She tells them uh, that she heard Rufy Jean screaming and called the cops, but no one came, even when she called them. Uh, and she's scared for a child because no one's ever going to catch Candyman. Yeah, um, so she believes in the myth mm-hmm. of Candyman. Um, and she, she also said that the white folks that come around here aren't too handshaking yeah. with us. Yeah. So she's, she's kind of put her trust in Helen mm-hmm. to a certain degree to not be a shit white person. Let's, let's just say it as it is. Yeah. You know, because the majority of the white people that go around Caprini Green are cops. Yeah. Essentially. Um, or people out looking for trouble mm-hmm. you know um, so she, she's putting her trust in Helen uh, Helen and Bernadette are having dinner with Trevor and his Stephen Fry looking friend with long hair oh god real pompous British dickhead mm-hmm. and he's also an expert on Candyman apparently yeah so this is one thing he reads this off like, he knows it off by heart. He does, yeah. But it, he's done his research into Candyman, so they're all pretty much in the same field. Um, they, he gets into a little bit, not, not an argument, but there's a little thing between him and uh, Helen, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Helen's out to prove herself, and she's going to blow him out of the water. Yeah, she tells him that to his face. Yeah, <laughs> with her research. And, and I think that's why she pushes herself yeah. too far in these situations, where she probably shouldn't have gone there in order to beat this guy who's done his research on Candyman and, you know, um, he's an expert on folklore. And her husband just sits there and is just like, whatever. He couldn't give two shits, no. could he really? Um, so he real, real gives the story of Candyman, which there's me saying Helen's a very clever woman. She had no idea about this story until yeah. this moment. So it's kind she, of an how much research has she been doing? <laughs> you think this story would have come up a little sooner in her research? Um, but the, the the story is that uh, Candyman was the son of a, a slave. It was in eighteen ninety, uh-huh. and uh, but he grew up fairly well off himself, didn't he? Yeah. After uh, uh, the Civil War. Uh, he was in a relationship with a white woman and got her pregnant and her father got revenge on him by getting a group together, um, cutting off his hand, covering him in honey and allowing this, all the bees to sting him to death. So he's completely covered in bees. Uh, his body was then burnt on a bonfire and his ashes scattered at Caprini Green. Mm-hmm. Helen has a very distant look on her face when she's being told this story. Yeah. Um, it happens a lot in this film, but it's, it's sort of the first instinct where she's almost mesmerised well, by the story. Fun fact, I don't know why it didn't come up in the trivia, because I swear I, I actually typed it up. Um, but uh, Virginia Madsen was actually hypnotised for this film. Oh, she was. She, she was, she was, yeah. uh, was hypnotised during a number of scenes and it got to the point that... She didn't know what she was doing, so she told Bernard Rose she had to stop it. Yeah. But some of the scenes in this film, she is actually hypnotised. Yeah. And it, you, you can tell. And yeah. It, it, it's, it's a lot... It's a mesmerised look, but it... Like, in the other instances, it's actually quite a romantic look. Mm-hmm. 
um, the way it's lit and the focus on yeah. her eyes and um, yeah, she she's hearing the noises. We do, we don't see anything. It's not reenacted, but we hear the noises um, of of what's going on. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a very interesting backstory. Yeah, in in regards to the the, the themes of the film. Uh, she goes back to Cabrini Green and uh, she speaks with Jake, who is a child who lives there. And uh, she he tells her that uh, she's crazy going there alone. And he can't tell her anything that goes on around there because of Candyman. Yeah, and she is an idiot going there by herself. Yeah. She yeah. is. Uh, she wants him to show her where Candyman is. Yeah. Uh, and someone's building a bonfire. Aren't they? Yes, yeah, so the, the, um, I don't know why they build, why are they building the bonfire for? I thought you said, for a celebration. Yeah, I thought you said for a party. Yeah, um, they're just gonna throw a party, but she, she just didn't scare easily. No. And she's, again, going back to Clarice Starling, I do think there's a real connection between yeah. the two films. Um, Clarice Starling goes into places where she probably shouldn't have gone. Um, you know, she, she was by herself. Mm-hmm. You know, when she goes into the garage, when she probably shouldn't have, uh, the end. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she should never have been there um, because she's headstrong and she's out to prove a point and it gets her into trouble. Um, obviously, Helen gets into a lot more trouble <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> by the end of the film. Um, but it, it, Jake is another character that believes in the Candyman myth. Yeah. Um, and then Helen is still very much sceptical about it. Yeah, he takes her to a public toilet block uh, where someone was murdered by having his dick cut off. Yeah, and we do get like a flashback to this, <laughs> yeah. a bit of a reenactment, and, and me, me and Karen, we were a little bit confused <laughs> because Jake's telling the story and we're getting the reenactment, and he, he went in there and, and Candyman got in, and she says, oh, did he die? And... Uh, he was like, uh, what, what did he say? He was holding himself. He was holding and himself. And they, they found it they floating, found in, the it floating in the toilet. So we were a bit like, well, what was he holding? Um, and then we had to rewind, didn't we? Mm-hmm. And he was holding his crotch. Um, and <laughs> Jake says, can't fix that. Better off dead. <laughs> so it was actually his genitals that were yeah. cut off and put into the uh, toilet. Uh, Helen goes into the toilets and there's sweets to the sweet written on the wall in shit. Yeah, it's a definite bad smell in there. Yeah. And sweets, yeah, sweets to the sweets written You smell it looking at it. It looks fucking disgusting. <laughs> but also a little like chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Candyman chocolate. Yeah, I don't know chocolate. Um, bees, I don't think it was, but it looked like it. <laughs> there's loads of bees in the toilet and a man approaches Jake outside and he thinks it's Candyman. Yeah, so we, we get the back of the, the figure and Jake turns round mm-hmm. and says, Candyman. Yeah. Um, he then, the, this figure, Candyman, we'll call him, because, well, that's his name, really. Well, uh, she's fake joined, Candyman. Yeah, she's joined in the toilet by him and a group of his friends. Yeah, he's got a hook and a long leather jacket. Yeah. And he says the best line of the film. Yes. <laughs> what does he say? You say it. It's your favourite. I hear you're looking for Candyman, bitch. <laughs> well, you found him. And yeah, he smacks her across the face with the, with the hook. Yeah. Not not the blunt side of the hook. And this knocks her out. Um, Jake comes in to see if she's okay. 
and then we cut to the police lineup. Well, they're all reciting the best line of the film. <laughs> yeah, so the police lineup is a, is a group of African American uh, guys, and they they're asked to walk forward and say, you know, um, we hear you're looking for Candyman, bitch. Yeah, <laughs> and she and the 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 actual culprit is in the lineup. Yeah, and she she points him out. Yeah, she's got a massive black eye, and she has uh, that, yeah. Uh, Detective Frank thinks they found Rufie Jean's killer. And the man that they've all been calling Candyman all this time. Yeah, so they have actually been calling this guy Candyman. Um, and by all accounts, he did commit the murders. Uh, the mur- the, the, or mm-hmm. the, the genital mutilation uh, of that kid. So um, the police officer says that they've been wanting him for two murders, but no one would ever testify. No. Until Helen came along. Uh, Jake's annoyed that Helen lied. Uh, he thinks that she's lied because obviously she's brought him into this. Um, and well, the, the Candyman was their secret. Yeah. And then she's told the police, and uh, yeah, so he she broke their uh, pact. Yeah, and he thinks Candyman's gonna get him, but she tells him he's not real. Well, yeah. So he he still believes in Candyman. Of course, she's still skeptical mm-hmm. because now she knows that this guy that's been going round committing the murders. His nickname was Candyman. Mm-hmm. So they're attributing this Candyman mythical um, being to this actual very real guy who was committing murders um, and explains that, you know, just it's just a bad man that took his name. You know, Candyman, the myth, doesn't actually exist. The, the one that will come and kill you from the mirror when you say his name five times doesn't exist. Yeah. Uh, Helen's made dinner for Trevor, but he has clearly eaten somewhere else, hasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Why'd you say it like that? Because <laughs> he comes in, he sits down, he, he doesn't, he so doesn't even look... Well, yeah, I mean, he probably was eating something. Yeah. <laughs> he did not look excited by her dinner at all, in the slightest. And uh, she said, oh, have you already eaten? No, no, I haven't had anything. Mm. Sure, Jam. So, Helen uh, actually brings up a really good point in this next scene. She makes this up with Bernadette, and she can't figure out why two people were murdered, and it took a white woman being attacked in Cabrini Green for the police to find a murderer. Yeah. And that's such a good line to include. Um, only for obvious reasons, really. Yeah, it, it is obvious reasons, and it's probably very real as yeah. well um you know the no one will probably cared about these murders Anne marie said it earlier that the ambulance mm. was too scared to even go to caprini green yeah. um and it wasn't obviously until this you know middle class white woman was attacked there that they did anything about it yeah uh, bernadette's managed to get helen's pictures recovered after her camera was smashed and uh Helen's taking a stroll through the car park, having a look at them, and about 45 minutes into the film, we get to see Candyman in full for the first time. Yes. He keeps saying the name. Yeah. Helen. And he says he has came for her. He's come for her. Depends how you say it. I've come for you. Yes. <laughs> and knowing Clive Barker, that probably is about C-U-M. Shut up. <laughs> Helen goes into a trance and asks if she knows him. And he tells her she doesn't know him, but she doubted him and asks her to be his victim. 
Yeah, and this is where Tony Todd stature comes into it because yeah. we're introduced to Candyman, and he's a, a silhouetted figure, mm-hmm. um, in the distance, but he's still a, a very formidable shape, very broad, very tall, and with you know this very um, low voice, you yeah. know, and quite it it it's. It, 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 it's a testament to Tony Todd as an actor because it's a menacing voice, yeah. but also actually quite a sexy voice. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. if, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It's low, and it, 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 but it's still kind of romantic. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it works really well, and it, it's a great introduction. 45 minutes into the film, mm-hmm. like we said, this is Helen's story, but... You know, it's a great introduction to to Candyman. Yeah, he tells her that he is the writing on the wall, the writing on the classroom. Without these things, he's nothing. So he's going to shed some innocent blood and asks her to go with him. And so she wakes up in Anne-Marie's bathroom. Yeah. um, So essentially what he's saying is that because she has, you know, outed this actual real-life murderer, Candyman, that people were attributing to these murders to Tony Todd's Candyman, mm-hmm. that now no one believes in him. Yeah. And because no one believes in him, he doesn't exist. So now he has to start shedding innocent blood so people start believing in him again. And it's all Helen's fault, so Helen's along for the ride. Yeah. She wakes up, she's covered in blood, uh, Anne-Marie's screaming. Helen finds the dog dead. And yeah, we see a decapitated dog's yeah. head, which, which is really grim. Yeah, it's... Lord forbid we have Tony Todd and Virginia Madison... Oh, I know, yeah. <laughs> ...make contact for more than five seconds. Um, so she finds the dog's head, uh, there's blood everywhere, and meat cleavers on the floor, which she grabs... Wasn't the cleverest idea, Helen. <laughs> and uh, we find out that baby Anthony's missing. Yeah, and there's blood everywhere in the apartment. Yeah. Um, Anne-Marie is really having a serious breakdown. Do you know who puts a great performance in this film? Oh, yeah. Uh, her name's Vanessa Williams, isn't it? Is it Vanessa Williams? Yeah, I believe I think, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think my confusion is because she shares a name with Vanessa Williams, of course. Um, and she's going to be in the new film, yes. but she puts a great performance. And she's in the trailer for the new film, and she hasn't aged a day. She hasn't. In fact, aged she looks day. she looks younger now. Yeah, than she did back then. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's very true. Actually, I'm really glad they're following this storyline. That's really really clever. It, it's necessary. Yeah, it's necessary because a gripe with this film is that maybe it's not Helen's story to tell. Mm. You know, maybe. Helen, maybe it's not Helen's film. It's a great film, and I like Helen as a character, but in terms of representation, mm. maybe it shouldn't have been Helen's film. Yeah. Yeah, and it's going to be a predominantly African-American film. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I cannot wait to see it, if we ever get to see it. I know. <laughs> should have already seen it by now. We should have. We actually should have already seen it by now. Um. So... Yeah, so Amory attacks Helen. Uh, Helen hits her in the arm with the meat cleaver, and uh, <laughs> she does. She does. There's this blood spur coming out of her arm, and the uh, the police arrive and take Helen away. Uh, Detective Frank is absolutely fuming. Tells her she's under arrest and uh, explains what happened and asks her where the baby is. 
She's strip searched as well. Yes. Isn't she? She's again Virginia Madison puts on a great performance. Yeah, just she's really like, showcases that. Absolutely, fuck all idea. What the hell is going no. on? She's very scared. She's very alone, and uh, she's still covered in blood. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, yeah, just strip searched. You know, she's got no clothes on. Yeah. In a really strange way, this film massively reminds. Well, this film I'm about to mention reminds me of Candyman. I I think I could see so much of the Invisible Man in this. This year's Invisible Man. Yeah, it, it's quite yeah. In the way no one believing yeah, her, yeah, yeah, and her being alone, and this invisible in force that's doing it all, and like the especially the scene later on um, with the psychiatrist. That's very much like the scene in The Invisible Man where Elizabeth Moss is telling the detectives that he's in the room with them. Yeah. Uh, I was I was hardly expecting that scene to go down that road. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, I, I could definitely see the influences there. <clears throat> but yeah, so Detective Frank uh, explains how it's happened. Uh, Helen calls Trevor, who isn't at home. Even though it's 3am. 3am. Mm. So she leaves a message telling her she's been arrested... And she is put in a cell and she has a vision of the baby in Candyman's hideout. Yeah, so her and Candyman are connected now, I feel. I feel like this is... The, the connection grows yeah. and grows throughout the film. So she sees some images of what, what he's up to, yeah. really. <laughs> and in this case, it's she sees and we see that um, baby Anthony isn't dead. Yeah. So Trevor comes to bail her out. Uh, reporters are all gathered outside and uh, they go back home and the news report confirms baby Anthony might still be alive and the blood could have just been the dog's blood. Yes. But um, the lawyer, Helen's lawyer, explains that they've allowed her to leave jail mm-hmm. essentially because they think that she's going to lead them to baby Anthony's body. Yeah. Um, so that's the only reason she's been allowed out. And I'm not... I don't know. I suppose... I don't know how American things work. Like, jail. Because, like, you you go to to jail. And then you pay the money to get out. Mm. And then you get put on trial and search. And, you know, then you have to get... Certainly that's not the same in in the UK. No. It confuses me. America confuses me a lot. (laughs) I'm sorry to any Americans listening. But some things in America just... Confuse me from a UK well, perspective. I mean, look who the president is. I'm sure it confuses them too. Oh, uh, Helen, <laughs> we'll lose view- listeners. I'd rather lose listeners than have Trump supporters listen to us. What the fuck? Stop. <laughs> what? I'm pretty sure everyone who listens to us, American, British, whatever, does not support Trump. They're listening to two gay guys do a fucking horror, a camp horror podcast. They're not going to be Trump supporters, are they? Gays for Trump exists? Oh, well, allegedly. I don't <laughs> believe that. That's not true. That's that's an urban legend. <laughs> fucking Trump's son saying he's he's been on all the gay bars, been in the gay scene. Go fuck yourself. He didn't say that. He did. He, I, I, you know, I, I've, I've been inside that community myself. Um, well, yeah. Fuck off. Go fuck <laughs> yourself. No, you me. haven't. That was so funny. Yeah, loads of gay support. No, they don't. Go fuck yourself. He didn't know what he was going on about. Helen tells Trevor uh, and a lawyer that she woke up in Anne-Marie's apartment and doesn't remember anything. And uh, she takes a bath after a bit of gaslighting and uh, questions Trevor where he was last night. 
Yeah, he said he was just asleep. Mm. Mm. And he assumed she was with Bernadette. Mm. I think he's with that slag, Stacey. I think he's with that slag, Stacey. <laughs> anyone knows that he was with that slag, Stacey. <laughs> <laughs> so he has to go out for 20 minutes. God, he's quick, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, because yeah, he doesn't come back with anything. So no. He's with Stacey the slag again. He doesn't explain why he leaves for 20 minutes. He's probably with Stacey. Um, and then Helen... Has a, uh, she views some of her photos, doesn't she? Yes, on a projector. On the on a projector, very nineteen ninety two, uh, <laughs> and she spots a figure behind her in one of the photos. Yes. Um, so, we see parts of the outline of a person, and then we sort of zoom in and we see Candyman. We yeah. see that it's Candyman, but I'm assuming she she zoomed in as well, yeah, yeah, because she's doing it on the projector. So she sees that it's it's Candyman behind her. Uh, the, well, the the bloke that she saw at the car yeah. park before she passed out. So she goes to the bathroom, uh, opens a bathroom cabinet, and in one of the greatest jump scares of all time, his hand bursts through the fucking cabinet uh, with the hook on it. And that, that still gets me to this very day, because you, you never know what's going to happen. It got Virginia Madsen as well. Uh, yeah, she yeah. didn't know what's going to happen. <laughs> so she runs out into the hallway, he's there. So she runs back in, he's there. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says, your disbelief destroyed the belief of my congregation. Your death will be a tale told. Yes. For centuries to come. And he tells her he's got the baby. Um, and he's just not happy that she didn't believe him. Well, yeah. He's, he's not getting over it. He is fucking fuming. So uh, he puts his hook into her head. This is very Freddy versus Jason. <laughs> it is. No one believed in Freddy anymore. Yeah. Or is that Freddy's dead? No, it's Freddy versus Jason. Freddy versus yeah. Jason, yeah. So you had to use Jason. Yeah. So Candyman's Freddy and Helen's Jason. She is. <laughs> well, it'd be the other way around because clearly it copied this. <laughs> so he puts his hook into her head and Bernadette comes around and Candyman uh, basically brutally fucks her up off screen. Because it sounds yes. horrendous. So she... The sound effects in this film are fucking great. She has a moment of being mesmerised as well, yeah. doesn't she? So she has a very glazed, romantic look when she first sees Candyman. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's sort of trapped in his gaze. Um, yeah, and then she's very brutally murdered. I'd love to know what to use for the sound effects in this film, because it, it genuinely sounds disgusting. <laughs> And it helps that Tony Todd sounds so menacing when he's grunting as well. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, so Trevor comes home to find Helen covered in blood with a knife in her hand. Uh, she passes out, wakes up arrested, and police are investigating Bernadette's corpse. Yeah, so she's handcuffed in her own bed. She tries to find Trevor, finds him in the front room with the police. Uh, and then we see Bernadette's corpse. Mm-hmm. And it, it is, It's like... Her face is like blue. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, they keep saying that the Candyman, when they see it, they, he turns people white, whether it's their hair, whether it's their oh, faces. Of course, so. yes. Yeah. Yes, of course. Uh, as she's being driven away, uh, she's having uh, Candyman's voice in her head again, and she's having visions of the baby. And she's taken to a psychiatric hospital, strapped to the bed, and in a really, really beautiful shot scene he floats above her and tells her that he wants to kiss her 
and uh, she tells the doctors that he's there under the bed and she gets put to sleep. Yeah, it says uh, to live in other people's stories. Talks about her being the new legend and helping him continue his legend and how it's better to live forever as a story, mm-hmm. as, a, as a, an urban myth, than it is to live and to suffer. Yes. Uh, in a really bizarre scene, Candyman lets baby Anthony lick his finger for a bit. I, I, my assumption is that was honey. Was it? Yeah. Okay. My assumption is that he fed him some honey. Ah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Helen is taken to speak to Dr. Burke, a psychiatrist, and she finds out she's been in the hospital for the past month and charged with first-degree murder. Yeah, she's been heavily sedated for a month, hasn't she? Yes. He shows her a video of when uh, Candyman was floating above her and there's no one there. It's just her screaming Mm -hmm. at the ceiling. And she says she could prove Candyman's real. And in what is a very, very iconic scene... um, she says his name five times in the mirror, and I I can only imagine how how shocking this would have been in the cinemas in the nineties. Mm. He just out of nowhere just appears and absolutely butchers Doctor Burke with his hook. Well, there's there's so she says it five times, and mm. then there's a long pause, isn't there? Yeah, and then it boom, he shoves a hook up Doctor Burke's back and pulls yeah. it all the way up. And he coughs blood and collapses on his desk. Yeah, so detailed. And this uh, is actually... This isn't included in the American version uh, because of how graphic it was at oh. the time. They, um, it was always in the UK version, but it was even cut on the home video release in the UK until Arrow Video I restored it. I did see it. a slight dip in quality yeah. when we were watching it. Yeah, you could definitely tell, but... It's such such a great scene. I mean, again, the sound effects in this scene are what makes it as well. Yeah, as oh, obviously the effects and the cinematography. Um, straight after this, he lets Helen out of her restraints and he jumps out of a window backwards. Again, such great imagery. Yeah, there was actually. That, that reminded me a little... Am I thinking Batman? Kind of way he's backwards out the window. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it looks great. I wonder how they did that, actually, because that looked great. Uh, Helen uh, escapes out the window, knocks a nurse out, steals her outfit and escapes the hospital. She goes home and she finds that fucking slag, Stacy, in her apartment, painting it this horrible, hideous pink. Yeah. It's like oh, a it's disgusting dis- salmon pink, oh. but it's everywhere. It is as disgusting as Stacy is. Do you know who else is not a fan? Uh, Helen. Helen. <laughs> Well, Stacey calls Trevor, and she doesn't know how to react when she sees Helen. Well, Stacey's having, like, a meltdown. She started crying. Yeah, she's so annoying. (laughs) Um, He speaks to her like a child as well. Like, oh, did you hurt yourself? Yeah, it's really creepy. Uh, Trevor can't believe that Helen's there, and Helen turns to him, and she's like, what's the matter, Trevor? Scared of something? (laughs) And at this point, we just have no choice but to stand, do we? (laughs) She does what we were all hoping she would do and grabs the paint and throws it across the Well, before that, she was like, I hate the colour scheme. (laughs) (laughs) So she throws the paint at the wall and offers Stacey the phone to call the hospital because Trevor says uh, uh, that they should call the hospital. So she tries to give the phone to Stacey. Stacey's still having a meltdown. 
And uh, she looks at Trevor and she's like, it's over, and leaves. And I was like, yes, you should have done that a long time ago. What do you think she meant by it's over? I'm hoping she meant just with him. Do you think she knew that, obviously knew her marriage was over. Mm. But do you think she then came to the realisation that her life was over? Yeah. And that, you know, this is the time, this is her fate. Mm Mm-hmm. And she's going to give in to Candyman. Yeah, because it's after this when Candyman tells her that everyone will abandon her and uh, all she has left is his desire for her. Yeah. And she, you know, she doesn't really uh, disagree. She goes straight to Cabrini Green. Yeah. So her romance with her husband, Mm -hmm. Trevor, is definitely over. Her romance with Candyman can now start. Yeah. But obviously her romance with Candyman is her end. Her, yeah. her death and her living forever as this tale, this legend. Um, because, you know, her best friend died. There's absolutely no way she's ever going to get out of her situation. Nobody is ever going to believe the Candyman tale because she didn't believe it when she was being told by the residents of Caprini Green. No. So she's finally come to the realisation. That's what I interpreted. Yeah, yeah no, I get you, that. You could see it both ways, yeah. really. Yeah. It works both ways. But that's how I saw that it's over. It came to realisation that getting on with a ghost is better than being with Trevor. <laughs> and it's the truth. So she goes to Cabrini Green. Um, she goes back to uh, Ruthie Jean's apartment. Goes through the mirror to Candyman's hideout where she finds unattended candles and hooks. Oh, you know I hate an unattended candle. Yes. <laughs> she finds a painting of Candyman and what happened to him. Yeah, so uh, it's a, a mural. Yeah. Mural. 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 <laughs> and, uh, and I thought I was bad with words too. <laughs> I really struggle with that. And she finds Candyman sleeping and she stabs him with a hook and he's so happy to see her. <laughs> I know, yeah. It doesn't do any damage. It's like, hi. He's like, hey, you came to me. He's <laughs> like, oh. Okay. Um, so he wants her to surrender to him. He carries her away, puts her down, puts his hook up her dress. Uh, is already more adventurous than Trevor. And he says, come with me and be immortal. He then opens his coat to reveal his exposed rib cage with bees flying out of it everywhere. They're coming out of his mouth, they're coming out of his eyes, they're fucking everywhere. Yeah. Um, fair play to Tony Todd. Oh, God. Imagine yeah. the amount of bonuses he's got for this. So, <laughs> well, I mean, 23 grand. 23 grand. 23 grand. 23 grand. Um, so... So when he's carrying... I'm just going back a slight bit. Mm. So when he's carrying her, he says, surrender to me and he won't be harmed. So he's talking yeah. about um, the baby. Um, and then as he's laying her down, he says, we'll die in front of their eyes. And give them something to be um, haunted by. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's he's definitely going to want their end to be very public. Yeah. And that's... Looking at it now... I mean, obviously they wouldn't have known at the time. Um, but with the studio and their their, um, their qualms with uh, their interracial relationship, him saying that is actually uh, quite on the nose, isn't it, really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, after this, he kisses Ellen. Uh, she gets all the bees over her as well. And he says it's time for a little miracle because she's his now. 
Yeah, I'm not sure what he meant by uh, it's time for a little miracle. Well, he had her thinking that he was going to bring this baby back. And obviously, that would be a miracle to Anne-Marie, wouldn't it, if her baby just turns up? Yeah, I suppose so. Uh, Candyman carries baby Anthony away, whilst Helen wakes up, grabs the hook, and uh, finds writing on the wall saying, It was always you, Helen, with a little painting of herself next to the Candyman uh, mural. Yeah. Is a pretty insulting painting. It doesn't really look that much like her. So um, that little Bo Peep. She does. Uh, so Helen realises baby Anthony has been placed in the bonfire uh, pile of stuff. So do you think, sorry, just, just to go back a little bit. So mm-hmm. when it says it was always you, Helen, do you think that Helen is in some, maybe some way a reincarnation of... It could be. The, ...the woman that Candyman got pregnant? Yeah, it could be. Um, I think so. I, I think it's definitely leading into that, mm-hmm. as if that that was Helen, and or or at, at least they're some way connected. Yeah. So, uh, Helen spots baby Anthony in the the pile of stuff at the bonfire. So she goes in there, but unfortunately for her, Jake only Jake's watching, and he only spots the hook going in. Doesn't realize it's Helen. Uh, and he gathers people to start the bonfire because he thinks Candyman's inside. So he still believes in yeah. Candyman as well. So Well, he sees a hook going in, so I mean, yeah. it's obviously the first thing <laughs> yeah. he thinks. Uh, the whole of Cabrini Green go outside and start the bonfire, whilst Candyman grabs Helen and puts his hand over her mouth as she tries to escape with baby Anthony and uh, tries screaming for help. Yeah, so, so Candyman isn't... A good man. No, he's, he's tricked reminding of that. Yeah. You know, because he has tricked her. Um, and, you know, ultimately he sees this as their demise. Yeah. But also Baby Anthony's yeah. as well. Even though he'd promised that he wouldn't harm Baby Anthony. Yeah. So, uh, eventually he takes his hand off of her mouth. But what does it matter? Because everyone's chanting burn and they can't hear her screaming. So, Helen stabs him with a stick of fire, and the bonfire... It's a stick of fire! It's a stick with fire on it. Um, the bonfire collapses on him, uh, and onto Helen, sets her on fire as she crawls away. Uh, he's screaming, come back to me, and Anne-Marie is reunited with baby Anthony. Yeah, so uh, Helen manages to get baby Anthony out unscathed, uh, but she is severely burned. Yeah. And it kills her. And then as the bonfire collapses, we see all the bees fly out of it. Um, Just elsewhere. Yeah, it's a a throwback to the beginning of the film, isn't it? Um, Where the bees were engulfing um, the the skyline. Yeah. So, uh, after this, Stacey, Trevor, Stephen Fry and another person are at a funeral. Um, We think... It's because everyone obviously still thinks she's a murderer. She's not very popular. And then as the funeral ends, the whole of Cabrini Green arrive for the funeral. Yes, because that really has cemented their belief in Candyman. So Candyman got his way in the end, really. Um, And this... They still believe. Mm -hmm. And leading the... the, 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 Caprini Green uh, residence is Anne-Marie and uh, Jake. Yeah. Yeah. And Jake throws uh, a hook into the coffin 
and uh, they walk away and then after this Trevor's having a cry on the toilet thinking of Helen isn't he he is he's reminiscing about Helen we get a couple of flashbacks and he's having a cry on the toilet uh, old Stacy, she's just wanting to cook him a steak salad. Yeah. Uh, and he's, you know, he's not quite with it. She's fuming about she it. She is so angry. She's flinging pieces of steak into that frying pan. Serves us some Margaret White as she angrily chops <laughs> the steak. Um, and uh, Trevor says Helen's name five times in the mirror. She appears complete with strobe lighting. It's really, again... Amazing imagery. I love this scene. Um, she's now got a hook for a hand and a completely burnt head. She, gets, she looks like one of the aliens from Mars attacks. She does. And she says, what's the matter, Trevor? Scared or something? <laughs> and she guts him. She does. <laughs> Stacy enters, Finally. finds the body screaming. Yeah, with a knife in her hand. With a knife in her hand. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, credits roll and we get a zoom in a uh, slow slow zoom uh, mm-hmm. into a painting on the wall of I'm assuming to be Helen uh, just like an angel yeah yeah so that is Candyman it is so Candyman 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 are you going to burst into Christina Aguilera <laughs> yeah. so yeah I honestly believe that film to be a masterpiece. I've I've never understood why it's so low rated online. I, I genuinely... I do find that very weird because it's these... Uh, was it well received at the time, critically? I assume so. I'm, I'm not sure. It's a difficult one because it, it screams to me one of these films that's, you know kind of been reassessed throughout the years. Mm-hmm. And I, I I think it's a brilliantly made film. Um, I think the acting is top-notch yeah. by everyone involved. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great film. I think it's multi-layered, really interesting. Um, I, I really enjoy it. It's, it's a great film, and it's, it's a great film to digest. Yeah. Not all films need digesting, but this one did. It's not without its faults. I, I do believe that it could do with retwigging. Mm-hmm. I think in the sense of, you know, it being a, a product of 1992, um, some of it just doesn't sit very well you know some of the depictions of you know african-american culture and i think you know maybe a little less helen and maybe a little more of the caprini green people Mm -hmm. you know maybe there was a great story there rather than these are caprini green people you know you're either they're all poor and majority of them are in gangs yeah Two of them are nice, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's all you really get. Um, so it's not without its faults, but I, I, I just, I think it's a great film. It's, I, I would recommend people watch yes, it. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, as you may know, if you follow us on social media, this is something Maz has requested, by the way. Oh, okay. Um, we did fright fest. We always tell you guys when we do fright fest. We always do you a little summary. So. Uh, 
this was better. Uh, if anyone hasn't listened to those episodes, Fright Fest is obviously a digital... Well, it's a f- horror film festival. It's been digital the last two times. Uh, this is obviously digital again. And we watched 17, 16 films, something like that. Uh, so we'll go through them quickly. Uh, it started on Thursday with Howd. Uh, Howd was about a couple who start being bossed around by a voice in their house. Yeah, so they go on a what's meant to be a romantic weekend at a posh house, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and they end up... They're, they're not having the best relationship. And they end up getting bossed around by this voice. Yeah, essentially. Um, yeah, essentially, who's put like like a chip in their heads and it will kill them if they don't do what they say. And essentially, the... Uh, what the voice wants them to do is to act like a happy couple. <laughs> yeah. It's straight down the middle for me. I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. It could have been better. It was an interesting premise. I just think it could have been handled better. Uh, and there's a twist that... Doesn't I, work. It, it, not really. It, it's a twist that should have happened a lot sooner. Um, and then it, it may have made the film more interesting. Yeah. It's from the director of The Gallows, so it's the best film that they've done anyway. Oh my god, yeah. I hated The Gallows, I'm sorry. Um, another film that had potential but didn't work was The Sinners. It worked for the first half, but then the second half introduced two idiot detectives, uh, a boring cop story and a really stupid twist that I thought was obvious halfway through. I assumed you already knew. Yeah. Um... Yeah, it it just goes downhill so fast. Yeah. It starts off so promising. It felt like it was trying to be a little bit of Mean Girls, uh, uh, you know, but taking itself far too seriously. Mm. But it didn't at first, that's the problem. No. At first it was really fun. You could see all the films it was trying to be, but it was fine because it was fun. I still thought it took itself a little too soon. Yeah. I think it was trying to be edgier than it was. Yeah. Uh, the day after, we watched a remake of The Brain That Wouldn't Die. Completely pointless. Yeah, really disappointing. I, 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 it, I wish it would have been like Airplane. But it just... It kind of just redid, redid the film. Pretty much shot for shot at yeah. points. Um, and just added like not very funny jokes. Yeah, and they did that thing where they're purposely trying to be a bad film, whereas the original wasn't, and that's why it was good, because it was trashy, but they weren't intending that. Yeah. This was trying so hard, and it just did not work. After that, we watched the worst film we've ever seen, collectively, between the two of us in our lives. Oh my god, this this is three excruciating hours. It was awful. It's called Dangerous to Know. Don't watch it. Don't, don't ever, ever even give this a go because I don't want anyone to go through what we went through. The sound editing was terrible. And Fryfest didn't check this, clearly, because they would have known. It was awful. It starts off with a character who is so misogynistic and it, all he says is pussy and bitch constantly. And he sounds like Tommy Wiseau. At one point he refers to this uh, suicidal girl as one of those horror characters. Uh, exact words. And he says, good, I hope she kills herself. Um, 
And then she tries to kill herself and they figure out the best way to solve this to make her better is to send her to an isolated cabin on her own. It was shit. It was awful. It was shit. It was really bad. Really, really bad. So bad. Acting was dreadful. It's bottom of the barrel. I'll probably touch on this more on Friday because it's going to be my worst on a moment. Spoiler alert. Um, Woman of the Photographs was the next day. I really enjoyed this. I thought it, you know, it's not perfect, but it's really interesting. Really good debut from the director. Yeah, Jap- it was Japanese a, film. It was a gorgeous looking film. Yeah. It was an interesting look at uh, people's relationships with social media yeah. and uh, their obsession with likes and such. Um, it, it was maybe a little too slow. I, I wish it was just maybe a little more action going on. Yeah, there's some gross body horror in it. Um, sound effects were very over-exaggerated and very disgusting at times. <laughs> After that was Breeder, a film that I thought it was in 2004, clearly. Uh, it was torture porn, very much trying to be martyrs. Um, just disgusting for the sake of being disgusting, really. Yeah. Nothing, nothing to enjoy. Just lots of people pissing. Yeah, I, I had a phone call from my mum, sort of, with half an hour to go, and I was like, actually, I'm just going to take the phone call. Yeah. After that was Babysitting... I don't know why I had to tell you it was my mum, but yeah. it was my mum. Babysitting Must Die was after that. A blatant rip-off of The Babysitter. Yeah, it all felt really familiar. It tried to mix some form of humour in with horror and just failed on both. It, it, I just felt like I'd seen it all yeah. before. It literally includes the exact, same, the exact same graphics used in The Babysitter, but mm. it ditched all of the comedy. I mean, I hated The Babysitter, but... The Babysitter was a horror comedy, so it made sense to have those graphics in there. This wasn't even trying to be a comedy. It didn't make any sense. It just looked stupid. Uh, after that, we finished tonight on Spare Parts, uh, a film about an all-female punk band with weapons for limbs. And do you know what? That was as fun as it sounds. Yeah, it was fun. It was nice. Grindhouse, I would call it. Yep. You know, a nice throwback. Nice and camp. Everything it needed to be. Next day, we had Heckle. Again, absolutely abysmal. Um, British. This was bottom of the barrel. Yeah, as well. Yeah, it just it, it was just shit. Yeah, absolutely shit. Amateur, cheap, and uh, laughable. It was yeah. really laughable. After that, we had Cyst, which is as perfect as you're going to get for a modern B movie creature feature. Yeah. Greg Cesaro from the Room, George Hardy from Troll Two, the Oh My God guy from Troll Two. With amazing practical effects, a guy running around in a suit dressed as a killer cyst. So good. Yeah, yeah. It was really, it was a fun parody of the old style B-movie. Benny Loves You was after this. Uh, a take on doll horror. That's very different to what we've already seen. I think it was different because it was British. Yeah. It has a very British sensibility yeah. to it. And a very British humour, which yeah. I appreciated a lot. Yeah, really entertaining. The end of the night on Let's Scare Julie... Boring. Nothing happened. Actual perfect example of nothing happening in the film. Nothing happened. And whenever anything kind of happened, it made absolutely no sense. It was completely pointless. Painful to watch. Apparently shot in one take, but there was so many visible cuts. So many cuts. The next day we start yesterday. Well, I mean, it'll be Tuesday you listen to this. But Sunday we started with The Stylist, which I loved. I thought was... Such an inventive take on slasher films. I mean, yeah, it was essentially Maniac with a woman, but it was just so good. It was a character study. It was a really deep, dark character study of a loner who likes scalping people. 
Yeah, yeah. For for me, it moved a little slower than I'd liked, but it it was fun to see this perspective on a, a, a serial killer film. That's followed by Slacks, uh, a film about killer genes. That's one half fun and the other half serious, bland and miserable. Yeah, it's a film about killer genes where the first half is played as a comedy and then the second half is played really serious yeah. with a very real and very serious tone. Uh, and uh, it just didn't work. It was very jarring. No. Could have been two different films. Yeah. It should have been. This is followed by the film of the festival for me, Lucky. Um, the less you know about this film, the better. But just know it's like if you take A Nightmare on Elm Street and Happy Death Day, add a little bit of surrealism that wouldn't look out of place in the David Lynch film in there. And a lot of commentary uh, on whatever you want it to be, really. There's so many ways you can interpret this. Yeah, yeah. It's open to a lot of interpretations yeah. as well. It, it's being it released on... itself open. Yeah, it's being released on Shudder. Absolutely watch it when it's released. Mm-hmm. And finally, we watched The Nights Before Christmas, which was essentially a Suicide Squad ripoff set at Christmas... Um, and it was as bad as it sounds. Yeah, shit. Awful. Trash. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that concludes uh, today's episode. And the final Halloween Classics episode. We'll be back on Friday with Little Shop of Horrors Original versus Remake. Uh, if you're listening on social and you're on social media, then Horror Cool Trash over on Facebook and Instagram, Horror Cool Trash on Twitter. I'm Gazmo205 on Instagram, GasCruise92 on Twitter, DeadAppGas92 on Letterboxd. I'm ChrisBarker823 on Instagram, Letterboxd and Twitter. Rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, like, follow and everything else. And we will see you on Friday. Bye.